Would you pray with me as we begin? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I'll invite you to stand for the reading of God's word this morning as you're able. We continue in our series in the book of Zechariah, uh, one of the prophets of the Old Testament. And today we are in chapter 10, which I will read in its entirety, verses 1 through 12. You can always feel free to follow along in your pew Bible if you brought your Bible with you. Hear God's word for us this morning. Ask rain from the Lord in the season of the spring rain. From the Lord who makes the storm clouds, who gives showers of rain to you, the vegetation in the fields to everyone. For the teraphim utter nonsense and the diviners see lies. The dreamers tell false dreams and give empty consolation. Therefore, the people wander like sheep. They suffer for lack of a shepherd. My anger is hot against the shepherds, and I will punish the leaders, for the Lord of hosts cares for his flock, the house of Judah, and will make them like a proud war horse. Out of them shall come the cornerstone, out of them shall come the tent peg, out of them shall come the battle bow, out of them every commander. Together they shall be like warriors in battle, trampling the foe in the mud of the streets. They shall fight, for the Lord is with them, and they shall put to shame the riders on horses. I will strengthen the house of Judah. I will save the house of Joseph. I will bring them back because I have compassion on them, and they shall be, it shall be as though I had never rejected them, for I am the Lord their God, and I will answer them. Then the people of Ephraim shall become like warriors, and their hearts shall be glad as with wine. Their children shall see it and rejoice. Their hearts shall exult in the Lord. I will signal for them and gather them in, for I have redeemed them, and they shall be as numerous as they were before. Though I scattered them among the nations, yet in far countries they shall remember me. They shall rear their children and return And I will bring them home from the land of Egypt and gather them from Assyria. I will bring them to the land of Gilead and to Lebanon until there is no room for them. They shall pass through the seas of distress and the waves of the sea shall be struck down and all the depths of the Nile will dry up. The pride of Assyria shall be laid low and the scepter of Egypt shall depart. And I will make them strong in the Lord and they shall walk in his name says the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated. Let me ask a question as we start today. As you live your life, from whom are you taking your lead? Who is it that's guiding your decisions? Whose values are informing your values? There is a dominant strain uh, in our society today that really says, I don't need to take a lead from anyone but myself. I have everything that is within me to know what is right and to make the right decisions. I have a good internal compass. 
I know how to live my life the right way. So long as I can keep things internally balanced, I can do it on my own. I don't need a leader because I can lead myself. That is not a biblical way of thinking. The Bible over and over again confronts our ideas of self-sufficiency and says, you are being led whether you like it or not. And you need to decide who it is that you are being led by and why. That's the message of Zechariah in chapter 10, where he conveys a word from God for the people of God in Jerusalem about 500 years before Jesus. As they rebuild the city and the temple of Jerusalem after years of exile and separation, God's word to the people becomes clear. You better get clear on who is leading you in your life Because whatever you're doing right now is not working. What you're doing right now, people of God, is not working. He starts by saying that if you're seeking rain, you should ask God for rain. In an agrarian ancient Near East culture, rain was basically everything. It was something that everyone needed for food, for drinking water, for the local economy. So it was the top prayer request for most people. And the fact that God is saying this probably means they're not turning to God to ask for rain. God notes where people tend to look for rain. Teraphim. Teraphim are like stone or wooden domestic gods that would sit on your mantle in your house that you would pray to. Or diviners. They're like uh, psychics or soothsayers. Or dream interpreters who are kind of like fortune tellers. This is where people are going to ask God or to ask for rain. And God's conclusion is that none of those sources are going to help them. They're going to confuse, they're going to speak nonsense, and they're going to tell you lies. That's what he says. Because the people are listening to these voices, God calls them, quote, a people that wander like sheep. They suffer for lack of a shepherd. And he says that he's angry at these domestic gods and these idols and these soothsayers and these diviners, all of whom... He labels as bad shepherds, and he takes matters into his own hands. Verse 3, for the Lord of hosts actually cares for his flock, the house of Judah, and he will make them not like sheep, but like a proud war horse. He goes on for the rest of the chapter to contrast himself to these bad shepherds. He says, I will protect the sheep, and I will prosper the sheep. And I will bring them in, and I will redeem them, and I will multiply them, and I will give them joy. And then in verse 12, at the very end, he says, I will make them strong in the Lord, and they shall walk in his name, says the Lord. Chapter 10 in Zechariah is a contrast between many different bad shepherds that are available to the people of God, and one really good shepherd. And this is not a new analogy. Prophets like Jeremiah have spoken of the people of God as sheep before. And whenever that analogy is is used in the Bible, it's a reminder that as God's people, his children, which all of us are, we need a leader. Whenever they're talking about sheep, it's a signal to remind us that we need a leader. We do not have it on our own inside of us to do it on our own. Sheep are by their very nature lost and absolutely in danger without a shepherd. Good shepherds for sheep will lead to life. Bad shepherds are going to lead the sheep to destruction. 
So again, let me ask the question, because it's an important one. As you live your life, who are you taking your lead from? Now, I understand as you hear this, that your knee-jerk reaction might be to say, this doesn't really apply to me because I don't pray to domestic idols on the mantle in my house. I don't visit soothsayers and fortune tellers, so I'm good. And if that's your response, first let me affirm, I'm glad that you don't do that. Good choice. If you are somebody who practices such things, not only are these voices confusing, nonsensical, and dishonest, they are also very, very, very dangerous. So if you're tempted towards things like tarot cards or Ouija boards or mediums or voodoo dolls or seances or witchcraft, dear friend, please eliminate these things from your life. They are evil. They're only going to lead you down the wrong path and cause incredible destruction in your life. So you can feel free to talk to me if you want to hear more about that or talk about that. But I'm guessing that that's not most of you today or maybe the chief concern that's here today. So does this passage apply to you? Well, you might not be mixed up with teraphim or diviners, but you do absolutely have voices in your life that are not God's voice, that are confusing you and leading you astray, seeking to lead you to places that you do not want to go. I know that's true about you. Don't believe me? Check your pockets. Does it have one of these? Do the messages that you receive or or pick up or seek out on this device confuse you, speak nonsense to you, lie to you about what is important in your life? Yes. Yes, they do. Do the shows that you watch or the music that you listen to or the things that you read lead you in paths of righteousness? Does your political affiliation fill you up and give you joy? Does your favorite politician lead you to vast pastures and care for you? Does the doom scroll of social media or YouTube or cable news protect your heart and feed your soul? Does the pursuit of love, pursuit and love of success and money and comfort redeem you and cause you to flourish? Does the crutch of alcohol or marijuana or drugs cause your children to multiply and your favor to increase in the world? The answer to all of these is, of course, no. These, however, are so often the kinds of voices that we give authority to to literally lead us in our lives. God, through Zechariah, has strong words for bad shepherds of his day. And I also want to to, to echo those regarding bad shepherds of our day here today. These bad shepherds have a few things in common, no matter what they are. First of all, none of these bad shepherds love you. They don't love you. The algorithm doesn't love you. The money doesn't love you. Your phone and the company that produces it does not love you. The thing you're addicted to does not love you. They use you. You are a resource for them. They will use you and discard you as soon as they don't need you because they don't love you. And second, all of these bad shepherds, no matter who they are, they are going to call out loudly. Their voices are going to be clear in your life. They're going to call out loudly, but they are not worth listening to. None of them. As the leader of your life, not worth listening to. They are not voices worth following, no matter how alluring and attractive they can be. And then third, none of these bad shepherds are going to lead you to life. Instead, they're really going to lead you to death, not meaning that you're going to physically die, but they're going to lead you to places where there's no life. A life led by bad shepherds and the voices that they give to us will not satisfy. 
And my fear this morning as I go through this text is that the bad shepherds in our life and their voices become so ubiquitous that we fail to recognize that we are in imminent danger if we allow them to lead us in our lives. That we would begin to to see these voices as harmless or neutral or maybe even fun and, and not realize the danger that we are in. If I can illustrate, many of you will remember the 2004 tsunami in the Asian Pacific, namely Sumatra and Thailand, that killed over 265,000 people. I think it must be the worst tragedy of my lifetime that I can think of. Um, Certainly the most staggering, sobering tragedy just to watch. Um, There were numerous harrowing stories from this disaster, but also some fascinating and instructive ones as well. Uh, Much of the loss of human life that came occurred because of faulty warning systems. The people simply didn't know that there was a tsunami and that these huge waves were coming. Some of those waves in certain areas were over 160 feet tall. They caused flooding three miles inland. They had no warning, except a warning that they didn't recognize as a warning. Uh, reports are that about 30 minutes prior to the first set of tsunami waves, something strange happened. The elephants began running. They became agitated. They began to disobey their owners, and they uh, started just sprinting in, inland to higher ground. In a few cases, they sprinted carrying unsuspecting tourists on their back, sprinting into the jungles. There were eyewitness reports of large herds of elephants barreling to high ground. Other animals began to follow their lead. It's kind of like Noah's Ark. It's crazy to see these animals just running for high ground. Why did they do that? Well, a tsunami creates something called infrasound, which are vibrations that the human ears that you and I do not pick up. We can't pick up. They're too low for us. But most of the animal world does hear those sounds. This is why your dog may begin to freak out before a storm comes, right? Their sense of hearing is so much better than the human ear is. And elephants have actually the best hearing of all mammalian creatures. So when they heard the rumble of a faraway underwater earthquake and the waves that it was producing, what did they do? They bolted for high ground. Friends, let me encourage you to consider fine-tuning your ears. If you're listening to bad shepherds, you are just as compromised as those tourists sunbathing on the beach as the waves began to roll in. I want us to spiritually fine-tune our hearing so that we can be like the elephants. When we hear the voice of a bad shepherd vying for our attention, when we hear that low rumble that, 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 is, that wants our, our volition and our affection and our devotion... I want us to learn what it means to turn tail and run from that. To not mess around on the beach and see what happens, but to get out of there. To recognize what a dangerous position that we're in. Sheep are defined by who they listen to. And for them, it's a matter of life or death. And I think it actually is for us as well. And it's not just me that's saying this. 500 years after the prophet Zechariah spoke these words, Jesus himself used this analogy of good and bad shepherds as well. In John chapter 10, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate but climbs in by another way is a thief and a bandit. 
The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they don't know the voice of a stranger. Jesus talks about the relationship he has with his people by talking about the shepherd, the sheep, and the gate in, in, in which sheep go out to pasture. It's not a perfectly unified metaphor as you're reading John 10. Even Jesus seems to understand this. At one point, he calls himself the gate for the sheep, and then a moment later, he retraces his steps, and he says, no, actually, I'm the good shepherd as well. Um, I find myself reading his analogy and having a few questions, but there are a few things that are extremely clear as you read this, um, and that's who's who in this story. Jesus is the shepherd, and we're the sheep. What does that mean? Uh, in 19... 19- 78, Philip Keller wrote a book, A Shepherd Looks at the Good Shepherd and His Sheep. Uh, Keller had spent most of his life in East Africa as a shepherd. And so he looked at the biblical imagery of of sheep and shepherds and offered his hands-on insight. Um, First, and maybe not so flattering, sheep are not very independent thinkers. This is not to say that they're dumb animals. They're actually not. In some ways, they're quite intelligent. But overall, they are very simple creatures. They tend to follow the crowd. They do not display strong reasoning skills in any way. And there are other things that we could say about them that are not very flattering. They're dirty, they smell, and so on. But, but what might surprise you this morning is, in, is that in spite of that, Keller goes on and on and on in his book about how valuable sheep are, how valuable they are. For the shepherd, his flock is immeasurably valuable. Keller writes, quote, any shepherd who is a good manager bears in mind one great objective. It is that his flock should flourish. He knows that his sheep have literally been the recipients of his own life. The strength of his body, the enthusiasm of his spirit, the energy of his mind, the alertness of his emotions, the thrust and drive of his disposition were all directed towards the well-being of his flock, end quote. In other words, The shepherd is defined by the well-being of his flock. It's his economy, it's his identity, it's his lifelong intent. And that is a beautiful picture of the relationship that exists between the good shepherd and his sheep. So let me start there as well. I need you to leave this morning having heard three things very clearly, and the first is this. I want to say something that's not explicitly in this text, but any first century listener in Judea would have understood this imagery. Same with any person who was hearing it from the mouth of Zechariah. You are of exceeding, ridiculous, and lavish value to Jesus. Everything about him is for your flourishing. That's how much he cares for you. That's how much he values you. As Luke states in his gospel, you are of such exceeding value that Jesus the shepherd would leave 99 other sheep behind to go out and find you and bring you home. And maybe some of you just simply need that reminder of this truth this morning. Maybe some of you have never really heard it this way before. Hear it now. I'm telling you this is true. You are of exceeding, ridiculous, and lavish value to Jesus. Second, The text begins to describe for us what is expected of sheep in this relationship. 
Remember, I told you they're very simple creatures. Jesus is very clear that the sheep just have one basic job. Our job is to listen to Jesus and follow his voice alone. That's it. And it's been tested in Palestine today. It is true. Sheep do not respond to a stranger's voice. If they've been attuned to the voice of their shepherd, they will not listen to a stranger's voice, even if that stranger is wearing the shepherd's clothing and speaking the very same words. Sheep are constantly tuning their ears to be able to hear the voice of their shepherd. And when they hear the voice of their shepherd, their job is to follow that voice at once. We cannot call ourselves God's sheep, God's flock, if we're not tuning our ears to his voice so that we might follow him. I'm sure that many of you have been told that in order to be a Christ follower, to be a Christian, you have to do this and this and this and follow these rules and look this way and say these words and fit into these kinds of boxes. Let me encourage you this morning. We can talk about all those things, but our job, one job, is to listen to the voice of Jesus and follow his voice. Third thing I need you to hear this morning is being in relationship with Jesus is the only way to abundant life. The text is clear that there are all sorts of shepherds who are not good. They will gladly lead us in all sorts of different directions. But really, what are these shepherds? They're thieves. They're bandits. These false shepherds have much to offer that sounds good to us, but none of it leads to life. It steals life. Only Jesus can offer life. And life with Jesus is not a cramped, restrictive life for those who follow him. His life is abundant, true freedom beyond what anything or anyone else can offer us. So if we desire freedom, only Jesus can offer it. Being in relationship with Jesus is the only way to abundant life. So by contrast, because that's what Zechariah 10 is doing, bad shepherds don't love you. They aren't worth listening to, and they don't lead to life. But what does Jesus provide for us as the good shepherd? He loves you. His voice is absolutely worth listening to, and he leads to the abundant life only found in him. This is the contrast that that Zechariah gives to the people and that Jesus gives as well. And the message is really the same. You need to decide from whom you are taking lead in your life. Which voices are you following? We're all sheep, which means that we cannot lead ourselves. We're going to be led by something or someone, and we better be careful who that something or someone is. If our ears are not attuned to the voice of Jesus, then we are liable to think that all voices are essentially the same, and then we're in big trouble. But if we can recognize the voices that are not Jesus, and we can turn and flee from those voices, run to high ground, then we will find ourselves in safe places with our good shepherd. On the dawn of a new school year, a new season ahead, it's a wonderful time for us to take stock of the voices that we are listening to. Which voices are you giving your best attention to? Which ones are you allowing to be your leader? Which voices are informing your values? What end are those voices leading you to? My friends, my invitation this morning is for you to listen to the voice of Jesus above every other voice. Find his voice in scripture. 
Find it in faithful friends who love Jesus. Find it in prayer. Find it in quiet still places. Find it in times of need. Flee from the other voices and find the voice of Jesus. And fine-tune your spiritual and emotional ears to follow that voice. Because the person behind that voice loves you and is worth listening to and leads to the truly abundant life. Amen. As a response this morning, it felt appropriate for us to read a text together about the Lord as our good shepherd. Would you stand as we recite Psalm 23 together? It will be on the screen for you. I know that maybe some of you who have learned this text before have learned it in other translations. But let's say this together as a reminder of our good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. Amen. Hymn number 404, He Leadeth 